everyone, and welcome to BookNet's podcast. I'm Krista Mitchell, the marketing associate here at BookNet Canada. Joining us this month is Kaya Thomas, creator of the app We Read Too, a book resource application that showcases a directory of hundreds of children's and young adult fiction books written by and for people of color. Currently, We Read Too's directory contains over 600 books, and the app has over 4,000 downloads. Kaya is a junior at Dartmouth College, where she majors in computer science and has held software engineering internships at Time, Inc., and into it, working on mobile applications. She is a technical volunteer mentor for Black Girls Code and has her own YouTube channel. For her work in education and technology, Kaya was recently honored by First Lady Michelle Obama at the 2015 Black Girls Rock Awards. Thank you for joining us today, Kaya. Why don't you start by telling us a little about your app, We Read Too? Of course. So I'll start off with the origin story for We Read Too. It really goes back to when I was in high school. It was at the point where I was now, you know, getting older and I was picking out my own book um, at the library and I started to notice that a lot of the characters in the books that I was reading weren't described to look like me. And what really was weird is the few books that I did find in the library that had black characters, they were very tragic stories. Um, unlike the other books that I were reading, which was very uplifting, funny, romantic, um, usually success stories or just really light fiction. And I couldn't find that with characters um, that looked like me or described to look like me. So I wish that there was some type of resource um, that I could easily find, you know, a bunch of fiction books to read where the characters described like me and the stories were, you know, uplifting or light or, you know, just regular young adult fiction without having these tragic um, plot lines to it. And I figured that other young people of color probably would want the same thing, especially if they love to read. And so why isn't there a place where Black, Latino, Native American, or Asian teenagers or kids can find books where there are characters like them? And so I, I wish that there was something like that, but I didn't know how to create it. I didn't know about coding. I didn't know about computer science. So it was kind of just an idea at the back of my mind. It wasn't until I got to college and when I actually found out about computer science that I realized that now I can bring my idea to life and I had the tools to do so. So I started working on We Read 2 as an iPhone app because I figured um, it would be the best way for easily people if they're in the library or the bookstore to, you know, look through the directory and be able to find books to check out or to buy that were related to them. And when I started Reread 2, I collected all the books manually. So I just really looked online, searched for weeks um, to find all the fiction books that I could um, that were featuring Black, Latino, Asian, and Native American characters and were written by authors of the same ethnic background. And so I collected and found about 300 books to start off. And in the actual app, when I launched in August, in August 2014, there's a suggestions feature. So I figured through the suggestions feature, users could suggest books that they know about that they want to see in the application. And that way it could lessen a bit of the manual work that comes with searching for the books. And so since August 2014, the, the directory has grown from 300 books to Six, over 600 books. So it's been great, but I also have had to manually go through the suggestions and approve them so that I can put them in the app to make sure that um, they're actually, they fit the mission of the app. Um, and that's really the origin story for Reread too. Do you think that there could be um, like an easier way that publishers could tag their books so that it would 
aid discoverability for people who are looking very specifically for books about people of color or books about like mental health issues or LGBTQ issues? Do you think keywords could help in that? Oh, I think keywords would help immensely. And especially, I think, you know, keywords can help for the topic of the book. So, you know, okay, this this book features, you know, characters of color, or black characters, or Asian characters, or um, ab- Aboriginal characters, etc. But then also for the authors, I think it's important, at least for my mission too, because authors of color often have a hard time marketing their books as well, and a hard time getting their books. So if they're tagged as well, if the authors is, are tagged, that can also be very helpful. Um, and there are. So the thing is, you know, in in my search, you'll find here and there um, one blog post here, one Goodreads, you know, one Goodreads list here, you know, a hundred yeah. black authors, a hundred Asian authors. But it's so disjointed. Um, it's also uh, the credibility there. You don't know. You don't have the credibility there. A lot of times you don't know if the author themselves is coming from the background that they're writing about because there are white authors who have who write characters of color. Um, and so I think it would be so much easier to find these type of books if the tagging um, was more available. And especially on the developer side, if there was, you know, credible tagging from the actual publishers that I could just grab from, that would make that would make it much easier. <laughs> That's true. We do have like a Canadian author signifier, I know, in our data where publishers can go through and like tag their authors specifically as Canadian, which makes um, aggregators like all lit up. We might self be able to grab those authors easier. So maybe if we implemented something like that for more diverse authors, that would really help projects like we read too. Exactly. I wonder the process behind implementing that would be like. (laughs) Yeah, it it would probably take a long time to implement that. That's true. Yeah, but I think it's something that is important, and especially because, you know, children's, especially children's literature, children's literature is so important, and it's so important for children to be exposed to not only literature where they feel represented, but also literature where they're reading about backgrounds. And that's one thing, too, that's important to me that I want to point out, is that Reread 2 isn't just for, you know, people of, of ethnic backgrounds. It's literally for everyone because I think it's important for all youth to be exposed to literature where the characters look like them, but also where they don't look like them. So they get to learn about different cultures and different backgrounds. I agree. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Because especially as children, it helps you understand that there are other people, different people in the world. It helps you build empathy. Yeah. It helps understand the actual world that we live in, that there are so many different people out there that live differently than you and believe different things than you. And it's, fascinating to like learn all of their stories and important for inclusion and growing up to be a well-rounded person I think exactly is that why you chose to focus on children's and young adult literature and we read too do you plan on expanding to adult books yeah I do in the future plan on expanding to adult books but I really that's why I really wanted to focus on children's literature and because it was a problem that I felt really you know as a young person and I'm sure, and I've spoken to parents and educators who have used Reader 2 and really felt like, wow, okay, this is great. You know, I can now find books for my child. I can find books for my cousin, my niece. I can find books for my students. Um, so it's not necessarily something that I expect, you know, five-year-old kids to be using. Right. Um, but I, I wanted it to be for young people so that they can see that these books exist. And I do want to expand to adult literature um, in the 
in the future, uh, in the f- near future. It's just that I know that adults have more capability to find these books than necessarily young people might. Yeah, they have more patience to hunt down things on the internet. But this book, like you said, be a great resource for teachers and librarians who just really want to find more titles to expose children to and more different kinds of authors. Exactly. <laughs> if they don't know it exists, they need to know. But you have over 4,000 downloads. Is that correct? Yeah, I have. And it's been incredible because, you know, when, when I first launched this, this was my first, you know, dive into app development and to coding and to tech. And I, ha- I, I really didn't know what the response was going to be. And I, I really just hoped that it would maybe help a couple of people. I didn't think of thousands <laughs> using it or downloading it. Um, so it's oh, that's great. beautiful. Thousands is amazing. That's huge. And so you said this is your, your first app. Is that correct? Yes, this is this is my first app that I ever built, and um, I, I I built it while I was learning app development on my job. I was working as an intern, um, a software, a mobile development intern, and so I was learning mobile development. And so I would go home and work on Reread Two, and I think it was a really great experience for me because learning coding to me has been really a vehicle. It's it's a tool for me to try to solve problems that I see using technology. And I think it's such a creative process. And so it really, doing this and making, creating Reread 2 has really created and grown my love for coding and technology. How did you get into computer science? Because you, you're a third year at Dartmouth, so you haven't even graduated yet, and you're already making these amazing apps. Like, what brought you to computer science? It was completely random and completely on a whim, really. I was... Um, after my first term at Dartmouth, I was in winter break, and I was thinking about changing my major. When I when I got to Dartmouth, I was thinking about being an environmental engineering major. But over well, after my first time, I was thinking, okay, maybe I'll I'll try a different major. I just didn't know what. And I had came, came across a TED talk by Kimberly Bryant, the founder of Black Girls Code, and she was talking about computer science and how important it is and how more color needs to enter the industry and how many jobs are going to be available. And I was just like, how did I not know about this? Um, And why isn't everyone talking about this? And so I just, you know, Googled how to code, learn how to code and and Code Academy came up. So I took their six week free uh, Python course. And from there, I just really loved it. And I signed up for computer science courses at Dartmouth and been hooked ever since. That's great. I've tried to use Code Academy so many times, and I don't have the patience to keep like going with it. <laughs> Obviously, coding is not my calling, but it's important for sure. Do you have any role models that you really look up to in the tech industry? Because I know that technology kind of like publishing is not really as diverse as it could be, and I'm just yeah. wondering if you have any role models that you could point to other young girls who want to get into coding. Oh, I definitely do. Um, Kimberly Bryant, who I mentioned, is a great role model and mentor to me. Um, and she's not she's not necessarily she's not a coder herself. She was uh, in the bio bioengineering and biotech industry before she started um, Black Girls Code. But I think she's a great role model to show the impact that you can make in the industry doing nonprofit work. Um, engineers who inspire me, Erica Baker uh, is a really great engineer at Slack. And she really inspires me, and she is always speaking her mind, but she also gets great development work done. And I think that that's so important, Um, and I think we need to really shout out 
more women who are in the tech industry now so that we can show young women and, and girls that, hey, look, you have people to look up to because a lot of the talk about diversity is focused on the low numbers, um, which is important to acknowledge. But then don't forget that those numbers represent actual people that need to be retained and need to be supported in the industry. And so I think we need to uplift those people who are who are part of those low statistics. I agree. We have the same sort of problem in the publishing industry where recently Lee and Lowe, a publisher, released a baseline study about diversity and we found that, well, to no one's real shock that <laughs> publishing was predominantly like white women mm. um, and other voices have sort of not gotten to a place where they can really express their opinions or be heard or reach the audiences that they want to reach to. Do you have any advice for publishing as an industry on how they can reach audiences of color? A couple of things are a lot of time, I think, why industries end up excluding. Well, there are a lot of reasons why they end up excluding um, different folks. But I think a lot of it is when we have the idea of culture fit, right? Well, <clears throat> this is the culture that we've, we've created in our industry. And if you don't necessarily fit into that culture, you don't necessarily belong. And I think that that really needs to be addressed. So if I were to talk to the publishing industry, I would say that you need to really confront your own culture and see how your culture is excluding people who are not from your same background and see how your culture is making people feel like they don't belong if they were to get in the industry. Because I think a lot of it is you can you can hire folks to come into the industry, but are they going to stay? Are they going to stay there? Are they going to feel like it's that they're welcome? Are they going to feel like it's a place where they can be themselves and be authentic? Um, so I think that's really important to confront your industry and co company cultures. I found a really interesting correlation from that study was that the diversity statistics really mirrored the same as the authors being published. Um, mm -hmm. So predominantly, you know, white, whereas African-American or black people were really underrepresented um, in both people who work in the publishing industry and authors, especially yep. for children. And so we need more people to reach, like to recognize that these stories are for everyone, not just like one target audience. And that's why the term crossover audience exists. But what sort of advice would you have for reaching a broader audience? I think a lot of it is reaching the community. So mm -hmm. figuring out who has access to these communities, because if you're a, a industry that is pretty much homogenous, you're not going to have access to a lot of these communities, or you're not going to know people in these communities. And that's a lot of times, it's all, a, a lot of industries are about networking. It's about who you know. So if you're an author and you know a bunch of publishers, chance, chances are you're probably going to get published. Um, but if you're an author who doesn't have access to any publishers, you don't know any publishers, you don't know how to get published it's going to be much harder for you to make that step. So I think a lot of it is about reaching communities where they have organizations full of authors of color or full of young people who are interested in writing, reach, you know, reach people who are doing fellowships that are related to inclusion and diversity. And there are a lot of these things out there and you have to really do the work of going into the communities and reaching people um, and seeing how to really reach them and seeing what their community needs. It's not about going to the community and think and doing what you think is right in terms of marketing or outreach, but really about what the community needs and that real 
building that relationship and having that real conversation. What do you think about in libraries? How can we make diverse books more visible for everyone? Oh, yeah. I, I love libraries. I hope. It's interesting. Now that I'm older, I, I hope young kids are still going to the libraries. I think they are, but um, I hope <laughs> they are. Um, and I think with libraries, especially as a librarian, I, I really do think that it's your job to get more books that have varying characters and varying different people out there. And I think one important way to, a couple of ways to do that is the displays. The library displays are actually really important. It's like when you go to the library and you see on top of the bookshelves the displays, what books are displayed there is, are what books that they're seeing, what books the kids are seeing, and what books that people are going to be like, oh, maybe I should check that out. So putting different types of books and different t- books with varying is on the displays is also important. And another thing where you can really reach kids is the summer programs. A lot of libraries have summer reading programs, summer reading competitions. So on your list for the summer reading programs or competitions and on the book list that you create, libraries create book lists all the time, make sure that you have books, that all the books are not having the same type of characters that who are from the same type of backgrounds. Make sure that you're varying it. And I think it takes work, but hopefully with with resources like Ruby 2 and with Ruby 2, you know, there's easier access to know what these books are because, like I said, sometimes you don't know what the books are. And so doing the work to access the books and then making them accessible to everyone in the library as well. That's such a good point. I used to love summer reading programs when I was a kid. I found some of my favorite books through summer reading programs. What kind of books did you like to read when you were a kid? <laughs> I So I loved all type of books. Um Fiction was really, you know, my, my favorite. Some of my favorite series growing up, um, Series of Unfortunate Events was like my favorite, absolute favorite, <laughs> one of my absolute favorite series. And I actually met Lemony Snicket, which was like... Oh, really? That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really crazy. He came to Barnes & Noble to do a book signing, and so I got to meet him, and that was amazing. And I really was into spy series, so um, there was a bunch of like spy and like, Cracking Hidden Codes, Artemis File, and there were a bunch of, like, spy series and things that I really liked. I love reading series, so if there was, like, five, six books, I was really into that. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I just was – I was always an avid reader, and I think that was partly because my dad really – my mom really instilled in me the importance of reading, and they always got me books and everything. Me and my dad would go to Barnes & Nobles, like, every weekend to pick out a book or two, and so it was – still than me at a young age. I've always liked reading all different types of books. Do you find now that, I forgot, I'm going to sound really old when I say this, with the internet, do you find that bookstores are no longer the gateway to books for you as much? You said you used to go with your dad to Barnes & Noble all the time. Do you find that that has lessened now that you can sort of like do a Google search and find authors of color easier on the internet than you would in a bookstore? Yeah, unfortunately, I would have to say yes. Um, and it saddens me because I think there is a certain um, experience you get going to the bookstore. I still love going to the bookstore and like searching the bookshelves. It's like really exciting for me. And I, I know a lot of readers feel this way. It's just like when you go to a bookstore, it can just feel like home and you're just like, oh, there's so many books. Um, but yes, I think with with the introduction of technology and the internet, it's much easier to just buy a book online, buy an ebook. Although I still like reading physical books. Um, I do read <laughs> ebooks sometimes. And so I think it's easier and it it presents a certain amount of access that not everyone has 
But I, I think bookstores are still important, and I hope that experience never goes away. And I think this is something important for retailers to hear, too, is that they can recapture those audiences by putting in an effort to create displays. Like you said at the library, that totally works at retailers, too, to create diverse book displays, and you can pull back in that audience that you might be losing to the Internet. Exactly. When you're online, do you spend any time following movements like We Need Diverse Books, or we also have one in Canada called Diverse Canlis? Do you get involved with those movements? Yeah, so interestingly enough, I am familiar with Diverse Canlit because I follow some Canadians on Twitter, and they they participate in that conversation a lot. So um, <laughs> yeah, you're very passionate about it. <laughs> yeah, and so I do. I do follow those movements online. We Need Diverse Books is a great one. Um, and I really like the work that they're doing. And so, yes, I, I definitely follow those online. And I would love to, you know, collaborate and, and see how I can work with those organizations and movements in regards to We Read Too. Because I think that there still is, I still see all the time, you know, articles, 10 books by uh, people of, of color or, you know, here's 20 books by Latino authors for children. And although I, I love these type of articles, I still think that they're, should be a hub where all the books are together and you don't just get like maybe 20 here or there. You should be able to have enough books to read for a lifetime that are by all different types of authors. So, And how do you think, because I know that some publishers have started author, like offering scholarships. They, scholarships might not be the right word, but they will commit to publishing at least three books by authors of color per year. How do you feel about programs like that? Well, I think those programs are great to give more people access into the industry because, like I said, if you don't have if you don't have a network full of people who are in the industry, it's going to be really hard for you to get out there and get your name out there. So, I think those are important. Um, I think that although those are important, there also has to be the conversation of, all right, well, we need to be broader and expand this. Right? Why does it just have to right. be three or why does it have to be 10? Like it should be, okay, we're going to publish 30% or we're going to publish 50%. It should be bigger, I think. Um, and it should be more about creating a network and creating access for more people to get in and to get in the industry rather than just taking a, a couple and, and dropping them in and saying, okay, we did our, we did our work because the work is not done. You have to do way more than that. It's so hard to find things that reflect real-life experience. I know, personally, I'm always trying to find books that feature asexual characters in a way that's realistic and authentic and doesn't feel like, oh, we're just dealing about this as, like, a problem, like an issues book. Instead, like you said earlier, like, you want to read about, you know, other, like, adventure stories with these characters or, you know, science fiction stories with these characters just there the way they are in real life instead of it always having to central around some sort of issue like teen pregnancy or exactly <laughs> exactly and I think that's so important it's it's like these issue books are because you know the issue books are are, are good as well because there are there are young people who go through these problems and I yes. think the books are good there they're they're good to be there but we need more books with with just the character being a regular person <laughs> uh, because, we need a good balance of that <laughs> I mean, because we got to realize that everyone is so multifaceted. We all have such complex personalities, and we need books to reflect this as well. You know, I want to read a book where there's, like, a nerdy black girl who, you know, goes to college, and she's discovering herself, and she's living her life. Like, I would love to read a book like that. That book um, sounds amazing. You should consider writing in your spare time if you ever have to. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so I, I think that these, you know, books need to exist more. And like you said, it doesn't need to just be issue books because when you just have issue books, it, it makes it seem like that's our whole lives. Like, yes, that's a part of our lives, but we're, we're also regular people. You also have a YouTube channel, don't you? Yes, I do have a, um, a YouTube channel called with Kaya. Um, it's currently on her hi- hiatus, but I created it because I saw that there were really few, few YouTube channels where there were women at all talking about coding. Um, and then even fewer where there was a woman of color talking about coding or technology or programming. Um, and so I, I figured that there needs to be some face out there. There was one, actually, ch- there's one channel, um, Adria Richards, who is um, really great in the technology industry and technology space. Uh, and so she has a YouTube channel where she's talking about all technical things. And so I looked up to her and I said, okay, well, let me just create this channel so that I can get my face out there and show other, you know, if there's maybe other other young girls of color who come across it, maybe they'll think, oh, like maybe I should try coding or maybe they'll just feel more comfortable trying it out, um, being able to see that, oh, well, there's someone who looks like me on YouTube talking about this. Uh-huh. So that was my really intention for creating it. I watched a few of your videos. You actually make coding seem less intimidating. <laughs> I was like, maybe I could figure this out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's, that's definitely my goal. And it's interesting because, you know, my 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 hope for it is really anyone who's underrepresented in coding. So whether that's gender, you know, ethnicity, age, ability, wh- whoever, I just want them to maybe think, like you said, be less intimidated by it, see it, and be less intimidated by it, and say, okay, well, maybe if she's talking about like how she struggled through this or how she just came across this and gave it a try, that I could do the same thing. You know, I'm not claiming to be an expert because I'm not an expert at all, but I really want to be able to just show like, Hey, I'm learning this. I'm trying it out. I've been able to create things and you can do the same thing. You met Michelle Obama. Is that right? (laughs) Yes, that is correct. (laughs) I did um, meet the first lady uh, last March. So about a year, year ago, and it was a life, a life changing experience, but really for me, it really represented um, a kind of full circle moment because when when we were honored by her, it was me and two other young women. When we were honored by her, she was talking about her her fears, her doubts, the things that she had to overcome to get where she were. And I could so relate to what she was talking about and the doubts and the, the fears and everything. And it was just a full, full circle moment to, you know, have the first lady of the United States upstate talking about, you know, all the hardships she's been through and similar issues that you've gone through and to have her acknowledge you and acknowledge that the work you've done, it was just, it was incredible. And for me, I really hope that other young women can see that and know that they can get to that same spot because I would have never in my whole life ever imagined that that would happen to me. Um, so it was really incredible. And she was so genuine and so kind and really, she, she really cared. Um, and that was really great. She's definitely, like, an important role model for women everywhere. I think she's just such an incredible lady. Right? Thanks for joining us today, Kaya. Kaya's also going to be speaking at Tech Forum on April 1st. Her session, Tech as an Equalizer, will give publishers actionable takeaways on how they can better reach audiences of color, so please don't miss it. To learn more about what we do, visit us at booknetcanada.ca. We gratefully acknowledge the financial support of the Government of Canada through the Canada Book Fund. And, of course, thank you for listening. We'll see you next month.